listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. If you will, this morning, I want to invite you in your Bibles or on your devices to the minor prophet of Micah again. Today we are going to walk through the second chapter of Micah. While you are finding your place there in chapter 2, I want to ask you, where does your security lie? We actually look for security in a variety of ways. You know, when your child is hurt or scared, they usually go looking for their mother. My children have learned if you're hurt, Just bypass dad as quick as you can. And I'm not really for sure why, because I've only misdiagnosed two broken bones twice. Hey, I didn't go to medical school, so that's not too bad. But when children are hurt, they go looking for that security, typically of their mothers, teenagers. Man, I have watched for years and years that they look for security in their peers. doesn't matter what we were doing. The number one question was, who's going? And there's security in that with them. They don't want to be embarrassed. There's fear in new things. They they look for security in their peers. But what about us adults? Where do we look for our security? We might look in our jobs, our retirement accounts, our physical appearance, in our relationships, even in our nationality. We We can look for security. We can turn in looking for security in so many places. But as, as believers, as, as Christians, we, we know the right answer, don't we? We know that we should say, where is your security? We should say our security is found in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And we know the right answer. Then why is it really so hard to really live that out? Why do we continue to look for security in so many other places when we know that we should only find it, and that we can only find it in Jesus Christ and in Him alone? But we look and we find it in so many other ways. Well, I don't know for certain, but I have an idea. And it's from a book, and one of my all-time favorites, if you've been around me long enough, you know how much I love the Chronicles of Narnia. C.S. Lewis has put these books together. The very first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, definitely the most popular. And so the storyline goes with Peter and Edmund and Lucy and Susan. They discover this, this mystical, this distant land through this wardrobe. And they go in and they have discovered and they find themselves in Narnia. And they're in this land and they meet these two beavers, Mr. and Miss Beaver. And they invite them in. And they start hearing about this land. And the beavers are so excited because they're telling the children that finally two sons of Eve and two sons of Adam are here. And the prophecy is is unfolding. And the land was overtaken by the the wicked queen. But now Aslan is back. And he's on the move. And they tell them that he's assembling an army. And they are a part of this plan. Well, the children, I can't believe it. So Susan... She finally asked about this Aslan, and this is how it goes. Mr. Beaver says, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. 
Oh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. She says, is he quite safe? I, I feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. You see, we, we look for security in a lot of things because we find it hard. I find it hard to really trust Jesus, to trust the Lord. And it's because there are times in our lives that are hard. Man, I could name three or four things that I have heard this week of things happening to people. And it's in these hard times that we don't understand. In fact, many of you I know are sitting and walking through things that you wouldn't wish on your own worst enemies. They're scary. These are painful times. And, it, it, and it's in those moments that Jesus is not being safe. He's not doing the things that we want or expect him to do. He's not acting like a tamed lion and he's not safe. And Jesus, you know what? He's going to allow things to happen in our lives. He's going to lead us into extremely dark moments. And he will do things that don't feel safe. But, but in all of those moments where it's hard to trust Jesus and to really find our security in him, we need to remember that he's always good. He's not always going to be safe. He's not always going to act like we expect him to. But he's always going to be good. In fact, I've got two families in my mind right now that things are going on with them. And I ask the question, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to them? In those moments, Jesus is not safe. But somehow we have to find the way to believe that he's good. And so today, we're going to see just that. We are going to see where people's security lies. In fact, the first group we're going to look at is a group of people that find their, their security in their possessions and in their land and in their power. And then the second group of people Mike is going to take us to is a group of people that find their security in the words of others. But the third group, in fact, I can't wait to get to verse 13. Don't read it yet, please. I can't wait to get to verse 13 because it's like Micah, he's slowly painting this picture for us. And last week we saw, he talks about this conqueror, that God's going to send a conqueror. And slowly he begins filling in the lines. And in chapter 2, verse 13, he's going to add a little bit more to that picture. But we're going to see third, a group of people that through wars and through temptations and through all the false teachings and hopes... A group of people, they are going to find true security in a city and in a shepherd king. So the first thing we're going to see is security in possessions, land, and power. And chapter 2 of Micah will begin at verse 1. He says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it. Because it is in the power of their hands. You see, the land of Judah had been experiencing prosperity and incredible things of peace for many, many years. But it doesn't take long for people to turn on their own. 
And so an evil group of people, they are finding their security in possessions and land and power. And they will do anything to gain more and more of these things because it brings them more security. In fact, they were so wicked. What that verse says, it says that they laid awake at night. They laid in their beds devising evil. And they can't wait for the sun to come up so they can then put those evil plans into action. And they would lie awake thinking, how, man, how can I get richer? Oh, yeah, that guy that lives down that road, man, I know what we can do uh, to get his land. Or that house, oh, if I could do this and I could manipulate the situation, that could be mine. And the more riches they had, the more security there would be. But look at the last part of verse 1. It says they did this because they had the power and the influence to do it. They perform it because it is in the power of their hand. These people, they were misusing their power and their influence to take advantage of their own people. The problem was not someone outside they were about, it was from within. And these people were corrupting their own by using their power. And so it was legal, but it was heartless. Now, what a great lesson for us that just because we can, and maybe just because we have the right to do something, it doesn't always mean that we should. But notice the reason behind their false security in verse 2. They covet fields and they seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. And see, they were coveting all of these land and houses and other people's inheritance. And they would use their power, they would use their influence to then take it from them. So what is this idea? What does coveting mean? And if you know some of your Old Testament, you know that the 10th commandment, it says that we should not, you should not covet. So what is coveting? Coveting is to want something that you don't have, particularly something that already belongs to someone. But it also means to not be be satisfied with what God has already given you. You see, coveting, it doesn't really begin with just wanting what someone else has. Coveting starts when you're not satisfied with what God has given you. And you look at someone else and you go, oh, but look at what they have. I mean, if I only had that or if I, I had that in my life. And so coveting begins when we are dissatisfied with what God has given us. And then we look around and we start wanting what other people have. And these people, they were dissatisfied. And then they begin coveting in their hearts and in their minds. And then their hands begin to carry out those sinful thoughts. Same. It's so true for us today that when we find ourselves in this sin of coveting, it really begins when we're dissatisfied. We think we deserve or we think we want or we think we need something else. What we're really doing is distrusting what God has given us, that he knows what is best. And then we look around, and we see what other people have, and then we begin coveting those things. But do you remember what we saw last week about sin? Sin always demands something. We sin each and every day, but what happens? What is that sin doing? And sin always demands judgment. 
sin must be punished. So look at verse 3. Look at what God does. He says, therefore, because you're doing these things, you're coveting after your neighbor, and then you're using your power to take from them, the Lord says, behold, against this family, I am devising disaster. He said, you've planned, now let me plan. From which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk honestly, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day, they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He charges or changes a portion of my people. How he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. Therefore, you will have none of the cast of the line by the lot in the assembly of the Lord. And he's saying that there will be no escaping this punishment. You have done these things and judgment is coming and there will be no way you can remove your neck from this noose. They're not going to be able to buy their way out of it. They're not going to be able to bully their way. They will not be able to talk their way out of it. When God sets his crosshairs on you, there is no escape. And these wicked people, they were using their power and their influence to cheat people out of their homes, out of their land, even the inheritance to their children. And they were cheating them all and taking it for themselves. They're building up their own security. See what God's going to do? He's going to take away what they prize the most. Their security is in their possessions and in their land and their power. And God is going to take all of it from it. He says, you know what? I'm going to give it to outsiders. When they've divided up the land, there'll be nothing left for you. He's taking what they prized the most, their security. So the first group, they find their security in their land and their possessions and their power. And they're using it because it brings them security. And God takes it all away. Well, there's a second group that finds their security in what I would call a false gospel. Look at verse 6. Let me read verses 6 through 11, then we'll talk back through it. People come to Mike and they say, Do not preach. Thus they preach. One should not preach such things, Micah. Disgrace will not overtake us. Should this be said, O house of Jacob? Has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? But lately, my people have risen up as an enemy. See, the power, the problem is coming from within them. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. The women of my people, you're driving them out from the delight of their houses. From their young children, you're taking away my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest. Because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. If a man should go about and utter wind and lie saying, I will preach to you wine and strong drink, he would not be a preacher for this People, the world, the world has always been plagued by false gospels. Some false gospels are easy to see. They just jump out at you. In fact, I can remember in 1993, 
a man named David Koresh in Waco. Anybody that had any resemblance to God's word knew that was a false gospel that was being preached. Joseph Smith and the Latter-day Saints. There are false gospels everywhere. But the problem is some are a lot more subtle. In fact, they look a lot like the truth. We have false gospels now that say things like this. A false gospel can be anything that you're looking for final security in. Nowadays, it's the false gospel, the prosperity gospel, that says if you claim it, you name it, and you claim it, that God will bless you. And it's nothing but the false gospel of self, that I'm the most important. What about the false gospel that says, really, there's no need for the church? You can really do this on your own. And it's simply a false gospel that promotes nothing but selfishness. But this false gospel that Micah is talking about is actually one that we still see today. It's a false gospel that says this. If God is really love. In fact, about three years ago, there was a book written about this. It says if God is really love, then he can't be wrathful. If he's going to be loved, then he really can't have a place called hell because that would not be love. And he's preaching and he's coming and these false teachers are teaching people, listen, if you'll just keep doing the right things, if you'll keep going to temple, if you'll keep giving uh, to the cause, if, if you'll keep doing your sacrifices, if you'll follow the law, there's no way God could ever do anything to punish you because God is love. The problem is these people are teaching this false gospel, telling everybody, listen, it will be okay. And they go after Micah and they say, Micah, calm down. You're going to scare people and there no one wants to hear your message. These false prophets, they taught that basically there was no limit to God's patience. And as long as they kept doing all of these, these outward ceremonial things, that God would not dare to punish them. And they were saying, listen, that crazy guy over there, God could never get angry. He loves you. And he could never do that. But the problem is that these people were finding their security in these false gospels. They were believing and saying, oh, then that must be right. But in reality, by not telling people to repent and to turn to the Lord, these false prophets were neglecting the very thing that could come and save the people from their enemies. The false prophets, they're selling a false security and the people were buying it. So Micah writes about a group of people that are finding their security in land and possessions and their power. And they were doing everything they can, even cheating their fellow man to gain more security. Remember the problem. It's within their own people. And then even among among themselves are these false prophets that are telling people, listen, God is love. There's no way there's an end to his patience. You just keep doing all these things and ignore Micah. And people are finding security in that. But once again, the problem, it's within their own people. But there's another group of people that really finds true security. And they find it in a city. They find it in this king that is within this city. So look at verse 12. 
says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture. A noisy multitude of men. He who, he who opens up the breach or the gate goes up before them. They break through and pass through the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them, the Lord at their head. See, for 16 years, Micah had been preaching and warning the people of the northern kingdom of Israel, the ten tribes of the north, of God's judgment against their sin and rebellion. So what does God do? He raises up an army, an Assyrian army, the enemy. And he uses them to come up against the northern kingdom. But for 16 years, he'd been saying, Turn back to me, Israel. And in 722 B.C., the Assyrians rise up, defeat the northern kingdom, and they, ca they captured the capital city. And the people were taken away into captivity, and the ten tribes were never seen again as they were. In fact, that's how you get the capital of Samaria, is these Jews were taken off. They were mixed with other races, and they were brought back, and the Samaritans were then birthed. But for 16 years, Micah had been pleading with the people to turn. But remember, the people in the south are watching all of this happen. And for 20 more years, Micah continues to preach a message of coming judgment, but also hope for the people in the southern kingdom. For 20 years, after they witnessed the destruction and the fall of the northern kingdom. But do you remember way back in chapter 1, there were three kings that Micah preached under. Jotham. Remember, it was good, but he didn't tear down the temples of the high places. Then his son Ahaz said he was evil. He even sacrificed his own son. And idol worship grew underneath his leadership. But in 15 BC, Ahaz dies. And his son Hezekiah becomes king. And Hezekiah, it says, was a good man, a man that did right in the eyes of the Lord. And he tore down all the false temples and the places of idol worship. He purified the temples and he called the people back to the one true God, Yahweh. And Hezekiah rebuilds the walls and the watchtowers. And he secures this city called Jerusalem. But the Assyrians... They're continuing to grow and defeat more and more countries. But in 705 B.C., the Assyrian king, Sargon II, he dies in battle. So then everyone around them sees this is our chance. The great kingdom of Assyria is finally starting to fall. This, there's a, a kind of a break in the armor. But his son, Sennacherib, becomes king. And Sennacherib knows that he has to regain power and put fear back in the people. So what does he do? He looks around and he looks for the most fortified city. And he sets his eyes on Jerusalem. And he comes after this city. And Sennacherib sends an army because he knows if I can get that city, 
everyone will fear me. That holy city for the Jews, that's where I'm setting my focus. And the great thing is, as we read about this in 2 Kings chapter 18 and 19. You see, Hezekiah, what he does is he sends three trusted men out to meet the Assyrians. And word comes back to Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18 that says this. In, uh, in, I guess you would say, in Rabshak said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? And whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? I mean, don't we see it's all about security. The Assyrians are finding their security in their numbers and in their army and their experience. So the Assyrians, they come to this city and they try to persuade the people in Jerusalem to give up. Do you know what they do? They're they're pretty clever. They start speaking in Hebrew so that everyone in that city can hear them. Those behind the walls. And this is what it says in 2 Kings 18, verse 31. They say, hey, don't listen to Hezekiah, for this is what the king of Assyria says. Make your peace with us and come out to us. Then each one of you You will eat of his own vine, and each one of his own fig tree, and each one will drink the water of his own well, until I come and take you away to a land like your own, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. Do not listen to Hezekiah. When he misleads you by the saying, the Lord will deliver us. So these people are hearing Micah say over and over, you need to turn back to the Lord and repent or judgment is coming. The false prophets tell him, don't listen to him. The Lord loves you. The Lord is good. There's no way he would let anything happen to you. And these Assyrians come up. And they're offering them land and vineyards and water in their own wells. They're offering them the world. They're offering them security. Sounds a lot like the prosperity gospel. But Hezekiah, he tells the people, do not answer them. But what you, can see, what you can't see is they're going after the people's security. But the Assyrians, you know what? They're not going to quit. So what do they do? They surround the city. And Hezekiah has all of his security at risk. He knows there's nothing else that he can put his trust in except the Lord. But he's outnumbered. He's surrounded. They're even trying to cut off their water supply. So what does Hezekiah do? He sends word to the prophet Isaiah. He says, Isaiah, what am I to do with this? What am I to do for our people And Isaiah, he sends word back. He hears from the Lord, and he writes a letter back to Hezekiah. And at that time, he also receives word that the Assyrians are on the move. The Assyrians tell them, listen, you can't trust your Lord, because look at how successful we are. 
Look at how many people we have conquered. No one has been able to stand against us. Look at your circumstances, Hezekiah. So now Hezekiah, he's, he's faced with a decision. Is he going to trust the word of the Lord that came from Isaiah and the promises? Or is he going to put his trust in the words of others and allow his circumstances to define that? So what does Hezekiah do? He goes to the temple. He goes to the temple and he lays out this letter before the Lord. And he cries out to the Lord. And the Lord answers him. In 2 Kings chapter 19 verse 32, the Lord speaks and he says, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there. Or come before it with a shield and cast out a siege mound against it. But the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. And he will not come in to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. But what a scary moment that must have been for everybody inside that city. They had you surrounded. They were cutting off your water and your food supply. That a Syrian army was so large. In fact, at one time they said, why don't you send out 2,000 men on horses? And they laugh at them because they say, we know you don't even have that. But the Assyrian army was probably over 200,000 strong. And they surrounded them. All the odds are stacked against them. And at that moment, I have to believe the Lord did not feel very safe. Lord, you've brought us here. There's no escape. We are outnumbered. Have you seen what the Assyrians have been doing? Oh, but then we get verse 35. And that night... The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose in the morning, behold, these were all the dead bodies. So even though all of their circumstances were telling them the Lord could not be trusted, they came to realize that He is good. And everyone that was inside that city was saved. You know, God will not always act in a predictable way. There will be things and events and circumstances in our lives that we will be faced with a decision. We will be faced with the decision of where does our security lie. You'll have moments, I know I have, where it seems hopeless. There'll be moments of great sadness and distress and trouble. And our natural tendency is to cling harder and harder to the things that we can control for security. Because the Lord will not always seem safe. But He's always good. But how can we, how can we come to believe that when everything around us is telling us that He's not? Our circumstances and other people and everything going on in our lives is telling us that God cannot be trusted. He is not safe. Well, that's one we have. And that's why I love verses 12 and 13 again. Let me reread it. But I want you to think it now looking back. 
He says, I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather a remnant of Israel. I will set them together like a sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, and a noisy multitude of men. And here it is. He who opens the breach goes out before them, and they break through, and they pass the gate going out by it. Their king passes on before them, and the Lord at their head. There is a promise of a regathering. That even though God will punish their sins, He will preserve a remnant. And He will reunite them once again. And God is always faithful to His covenant and His promises. And listen, there are so many similarities between Micah's day and ours. We live in an evil world in which people misuse their power to take advantage of others for their own personal gain. We live in a world that is full of false gospels. We live in a world where the sins of the fathers are visited upon the children. But God didn't leave Judah or us without hope. God always had a plan for redemption and salvation, much like He did for Jerusalem. And so as Satan, when He came knocking at our gate, Jesus steps in between us. And he fights that battle for us. And in the end, man, it seems that as Satan and evil have won. But Jesus breaks through not just a city gate. He breaks through the gates of sin and death. And he blows the doors wide open that we then get to walk through. So be encouraged, church. What you see today is not the whole reality. The one who rules the future He will not always act safe and tamed. And there will be difficult and scary and painful times. But he is always good. And he's coming again. The king that has broken through the gates. So regardless of where you sit, regardless of your present, the way is bright for those who find their security in that king. And we wait for his reunion again. Let's pray. Father, this morning we once again are so thankful for your word. and How it can be written so many thousands of years ago, but so relevant for us today. And so, Father, as we look around in the circumstances of our lives, the voices that we're listening to, there are so many times that we can doubt your love, we can doubt your protection, we doubt if you're even good. So Father, when those times come, when those scary and dark moments rise up against us, in those moments where you are not acting safe, you're not acting as we would expect or want, Lord, guard our faith that we would always know that you are always good. And so it is in your Son's name that sits at your right hand, that holds our future. And we say, Lord, send him soon. And by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.